Good morning. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. In today's study, we will be considering Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, we're going to see Paul use Abraham to justify or to support his statement that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He makes that statement in chapter 3, verse 28, and then in our section today we're going to be studying, he uses Abraham as an example of how that is the case there, that yes, we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Paul, if you would, let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. Well, John, I'd be glad to do that because one of our favorite things is for those who are watching online to be able to participate with us, or even those who are watching a recorded version to be able to send us an email. So if you are watching live, you may be watching on uh, youtube.com at Truth Factor Live. And uh, if you're looking at that, you can use the comments uh, section that they have there, and they will alert us to the fact that you are participating. We may also uh, may be watching on Facebook, and you can make comments uh, on the video on Facebook and again, we'll introduce those as close to live as we can. Uh, also, Twitter, uh, and that's also Truth Factor Live. All of the social media are Truth Factor Live. You can send us a Twitter message, and we can introduce that into our study. It may be that you're watching this at another time, or you don't like to uh, send those kind of messages or whatever. And so you can send us messages at questions at truthfactorlive.com. Maybe it would be that one of us would have some comment we make that you would like to just ask us a, a personal question about. And if you wanted to do that, you could take uh, Brian, Tom, John, or Paul at truthfactorlive.com and send us a personal email. And so we look forward to that. Also, on those social media platforms, if you'd be willing to subscribe to us, that'll help us out. Plus, if you also subscribe and click the, uh, if you follow us and click the subscribe button for notifications, uh, then it'll alert you to any time we go live. And so that's uh, that's about it, John. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Yeah, on and everybody who watches YouTube, you're familiar with the bell icon, and that's, that's what you'll click to receive further notifications, but you do need to subscribe. I mean, your yeah, life will be that much better. Things. Those are two different things, aren't they? I didn't realize yeah. that for a while. And uh, just because you uh, like or... or I want to be a part of some discussion. If you don't click the bell, then you don't get notified whenever uh, that particular video, uh, that particular group goes live. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, some other individuals on their various shows will have special graphics that they'll pop up and everything, and we just haven't gotten there yet. We'll get there eventually, such as this nice, pretty one. <laughs> So, matter of fact, that's what we're doing. We're in the course of studying through Romans, and um, we've already looked at Romans chapters 1 through 3, and I think it was Brian who hosted uh, last week's study of Romans chapter 3, and here in a few minutes, we're going to start with Romans chapter 4, and as Paul said, we'd love to hear from you. We definitely appreciate your participation and comments, and I recognize that depending on your religious background or your understanding of the scriptures, you may see what we're talking about a bit differently. You may have a different understanding of it. And so if that's the case, don't hesitate to let us know and, and give us a chance to to kind of uh, look at it and then explain the way that we see it. And I think it would, helps for a good dialogue in our studying of the Word of God. 
All right, so let's see. This is a study through Romans, and we are on episode number 287. Whatever that is worth to you, it means a lot to us. <laughs> anyway, so let's go ahead and begin. And uh, Paul, I'll have you to read first, if you would. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 4, the first eight verses there. All right. Uh I'd like to read Romans 4, 1 to 8. And if you'll read along with me, it says there, What then sh uh, shall we say, that Abraham our father has found according... Let me start over again. I read that very poorly. I'm, I apologize. What shall we say, that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. It is important, I think, before we actually start our discussion, now that Paul has read this, to bring in what I think is, is the statement that kind of prepares the way for this. The Apostle Paul in his in the third chapter, what we looked at last week, notice there in verse 28, he draws a conclusion. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. The deeds of the law are talking about the law of Moses. Um, when you go all the way back into chapter 2, that is well established as you go through the text there on into chapter 3. Um, he is making a distinction here regarding the difference between the works of the law versus faith. And is there justification found in the law of Moses or is it faith in God? And so to kind of show this, we now come down to verse chapter, verse one of chapter four. Then he uses Abraham as a great example of this. Now this can get somewhat convoluted, maybe a little bit difficult unless you keep something in mind. Well, the point that Paul is making is very simple. And, and in the end, the, the, the point is that we are justified by faith in God. If we think about Romans chapter 2, verse 8, or he, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. You know, we, we, there was nothing that Abraham did that Abraham could say, okay, I, I have earned this, I deserved it, or that God looked at Abraham and said, okay, now that you've done this, you're now worthy to come on in. Um, now, there is an interesting point that's going to be made later when Abraham goes to offer si um, I <laughs> sorry, Abraham goes to offer Isaac his son. You'll hear the angel of the Lord say, "Now I know." Now, God already knew Abraham believed him, but yet when Abraham went to offer his only son and God stopped him, then God made that statement, "Now I know that you." And so. That's when James 4 and the point being made there comes into play. What we're looking at here, though, is a little bit different than that. There's a distinction between the old law, the works of the law, and justification by faith in God. So I want to kind of 
elaborate on that. Um, okay, so Paul, I'm going to go ahead and since you read for us here just a minute ago. Um, actually, I need to bring in the chat room question, looking back at the outline there. And um, in the chat room question, some of these was kind of interesting, trying to figure out what would be the best um, question to ask and consider. But you'll notice that here's the one for this section. In what other epistle do we find a reference to faith, works, and Abraham? All right, so kind of be thinking about that. Don't wait till the end of this discussion to drop your answer in. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, go ahead and drop it in at any point, and we'll bring it into our discussion because it is relevant to our study. And what other epistle do we find a reference to faith, works, and Abraham? All right, so Paul. <clears throat> how does the Apostle Paul use Abraham to support his conclusion drawn in chapter 3, verse 28? We read that a while ago. How does he use Abraham to support that statement? Well, uh, there, in, as you mentioned, in, in chapter 3 and verse 28, it talks about that a man is justified by faith. And you mentioned there, the part from deeds of the law. And so that's the question under discussion. Uh, this is very much like the teaching in the book of Galatians. And so he's not talking about uh, works of obedience because Abraham, what we read is Abraham believed God. And here is not just that he had faith that there was a God. He did not just that he believed there is a God, but he believed what God said. And that caused him to uh, be very active in his faith. But if he would have tried to have been justified uh, under the works of the old law, he could not have done that. Now, something very interesting for those who point back to Abraham as this example is Abraham uh, lived and died before the law came. Uh, and so it wasn't until after Abraham's death that the law came. And so in looking at that, we would understand that he was a man of faith. He was a man who stood justified before God without the law of Moses. And so since uh, he could do that, we are, Paul will make the argument with the Galatians that we are children of Abraham, children of the promise that God would bless all nations under heaven uh, and when we are uh, following after uh, Abraham's pattern of believing what God says and doing. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, that's kind of the same way that I see that, Paul. And, and I think it's important to understand that, that's, that, that this fundamentally is what Paul's point is um, in, in using Abraham as this example. Um, John, I would, I would also just mm -hmm. mention that you know, he does kind of go into uh, an area that, that may be more applicable for us. There are people today who want to keep parts of the old law, and this would be a, a good message to them. But he also talks about here the idea that um, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. <clears throat> and so the idea that we could uh, work in such a meritorious way that God would just forgive us uh, because we have done so good. Uh, and so the point here is, it's not that we don't have to obey, but the point is that uh, in our obedience, we cannot earn, we cannot uh, deserve what God has given to us because he gives that to us certainly by grace. Uh, but that doesn't negate the fact that God would want us to uh, keep his commands and in fact demand that we keep uh, the truths found within the word of God. But we believe God. Uh, when we think about that, and I'm kind of rambling on a little too much probably, but when we think about that, uh, how does baptism wash away sins? Well, we just have to believe God. Uh, 
Sure. Uh, we can't uh, explain that. And, and certainly by being dunked in water, it doesn't uh, cause us to deserve the sacrifice of Christ. It's God's grace. But God does demand that we obey the gospel. And, and we can't explain exactly how that happens. But we do understand that that is uh, something we do because we believe God and we do that by faith. Yeah. And I think, Paul, oftentimes what happens is theology gets in the way of understanding simple Bible verses. And in the religious world, you know, theologians have really hammered on this a long time. And so they've drawn a conclusion that works can have nothing to do with our salvation. Therefore, baptism is not important. It is important, but we cannot be saved by baptism. It's got to be before and you know, it's and then baptism is symbolic and everything, but that that then makes those passages overly complicated. When originally they were very simple, Acts two thirty eight, Mark sixteen sixteen, Romans six and three and four. Um, it's one, and so what we have here is if we go ahead and form a theology, and say okay, this is what it is, then we got to make all the other Bible verses fit it, instead of letting Bible verses form the theology. I agree with that, John. And uh, some people have felt like Paul and James are in conflict with one another uh, or Paul's teaching sometimes uh, conflicts with other places. Uh, that's not the case at all. You have to look at this in context. Yeah. And, and you're right. We ha we must obey. Uh, faith without works, James would say, is dead. Uh, but not by works of the law or not by works of merit uh, can we deserve and earn salvation. But instead, it's because God's plan uh, for us shows forth his grace. Yeah, that's true. Appreciate that. Um, Tom or Brian, any thoughts on this? No? Okay. All right, let's see. So I'll ask Brian this question. Brian, Paul uses the term scripture there in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? What is he referring to? He's actually taking us back to the book of Genesis, chapter 15 and verse 6, where uh, God has, and this actually isn't the first time God has come to Abraham, but this is, a, well, I believe, the third or fourth time God has come to Abraham to, to, to reveal a part of his plan. And there in chapter 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God, uh, and that was given to his credit, or it was uh, put on his account as righteousness. Do you think, Brian, that that adds a bit of credibility to what Paul is saying here? Yeah, very much so. You know, that in other words, uh, he is trying to, and, and, I, and I don't want to belabor what others have already said, but he's trying to make the case that before the law of Moses came, uh, and uh, Tom has mentioned it off record, even before circumcision was given, and circumcision exists outside of the law of Moses even. So some might say circumcision is more important than the law of Moses, but even before that, uh, Abraham, uh, what Paul is trying to establish the idea is that Abraham has believed God, and that would be counted as his righteousness. Yeah. Now, to add to that, Abraham has already done works of God. Um, in fact, uh, we want to understand that the very first work of God uh, given to Abraham was repentance by the meaning of the idea that he was to leave his land behind and to sojourn somewhere else, meaning he was to turn away from one place and go to another, uh, a very physical form of repentance, to be sure, but it was still... Uh, that that his first act of faith was repentance, and then later that faith, that belief in God, is credited as righteousness. That's a good point. I hadn't really considered Abraham's departure from the early the Chaldees and then from Haran as being kind of a pre-repentance or 
equivalent to repentance. But that's a very good point. He does leave his yeah, father. You know, it's inter- and that does seem to be the very first thing that we know of Abraham of substance, that in uh, Genesis 12, uh, 1, 2, and 3, you know, God says, you need to leave that land and go somewhere else. And so Abraham does. Yeah. And, you know, that would be the first act of faith, you know, that we find with Abraham. And we find several acts of faith between that time, too, but up to chapter 15. So um, let's not, you know, it would be it would be wrong. And uh, you said it well when you said sometimes that 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 uh, doctrinal predisposition tends to blind us to things. And it would be wrong to say that Abraham had no faith before chapter 15. He has, he's acted yeah. in faith all along. That's been the substance of his faith. That's right. That's very, that's cool. That's true. Um, it, Tom, any thoughts before we go on to the next question? No, that's good. Okay. So here's the next one. And Brian, have we had any comments yet in the chat room? Yes, we have. Gregory Hinckley has given us a, a response uh, in, uh, in our YouTube chat. So, All right. Let me, I'm going to go ahead and, and we're going to, I'm going to head in the direction of, of the next thing we're going to discuss. And then we'll bring in Gregor's comment and then we'll discuss it um, ourselves also. We're going to send it forward there. So Paul says here in verse five, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Now, here's what I find interesting about that. And let me let me put this back up on the screen one more time here real quick as I read it again. Notice that he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And then he goes on and talks about David here in just a second. What when we talk about the term works here, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies, what is he talking about? Now, the question that we originally had for this section here is uh, in what other epistle do we find a reference to faith, works, and Abraham? And um, we do have a comment in the chat room. You know what? <laughs> Gregor gave me a comment I wasn't even expecting. I forgot about that. So he says, Hebrews, author unknown, my favorite example being Hebrews 11, where we are told that Abraham had faith that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And then Gregor goes on to say, following that, no, that, that's Brian who goes on to say, we'll bring in Brian's comment though. Uh, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, Gregor, appreciate the comment. That's not the answer I was looking for. He just threw the whole study off the train tracks. <laughs> no, um, that's I didn't. I forgot about Hebrews eleven. That's a very good point. Specifically, what I had in mind is James chapter four. Let's bring or James chapter two. I'm sorry, James two. Let me bring James chapter two up real quick and read what I was referencing there. The apostle, the not the apostle James, the writer James. Um. Oftentimes we look at verse 14, and so let me bring that up on the screen here. So here he's talking about, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? He goes, he uses some obvious, very common sense examples of this. And then he comes down a little farther to verse 20. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
Do we see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture, right? There we have that word again. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, so that, that's the other passage I was thinking about, because James, James uses the idea of Abraham works in faith. But here in James, he makes the point that the works that Abraham did were because of the faith that he had in God, and that with this genuine faith, there would be the presence of works, that if Abraham had not done those works, then his faith in God would have been dead. That's, that's the point that he's making here. But he quotes the same passage. Abraham believed God, it was accounted him for righteousness. So, um, Tom, I'll throw this to you, and we, we can bat this around for a few minutes here. Back to the question. Here we have the idea of works. We said well ago to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies. What is the idea of works here, do you think, that um, Paul is talking about? Yeah, well, what comes to my mind is uh, what we might describe as meritorious works or, or the idea of the idea of you earning your salvation. And, and clearly that's the point that is totally rejected. I mean, I mean, you can look at the example of Abraham, and we've already mentioned some things. You know, Brian, Brian mentioned Genesis 12, where we first read about Abraham. He does what God says. And the one thing you've got to understand about Abraham is he was extremely obedient to God. Uh, did he make some mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, but when you, when you take a look at Genesis 15, which is where the expression is found, that's, um, hold on a second here. That's a passage of scripture where uh, uh, Abraham knows this promise that God has made and it hadn't been fulfilled yet and he wants to help God and he offers his servant Eliezer to him and God says, no, it's going to be of your seed. And it says Abraham believed him. Now the interesting point to be made there is you have here an example of a faith where it's just simply trusting God but what made that faith a, 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 a the right type of faith was the fact that Abraham was going to do whatever God told him to do. So it's not a matter of works and faith contradicting each other. They don't. They actually complement each other. But the thing that we've got to fully understand is whatever we do needs to be because we believe God and not some we're going to earn our salvation or something like that. So that's kind of how I would tie these things together. Okay. And and that's a good point. Keeping in mind here that he's, he's still contrasting uh, justification by the works of the old law. Yeah, yeah, yep. and you can, yeah, and you can never forget that in that particular passage. You know, I, I mean, when it says Abraham believed God, it, th this is—it's nothing but faith. Yep. You know, it's not Abraham doing anything at that time, but it doesn't mean that Abraham wasn't going to do what God said to do, and that what God told him to do wasn't important. And and our our, our friends who teach faith only. Uh, uh, that's the big problem we have with that particular teaching. And, and what we are sometimes accused of, and, and I, I believe falsely, sometimes dishonestly, sometimes ignorantly, not always, not always, but, but, but I mean, what we're falsely accused of is teaching 
uh, salvation by works as if to say that we earn our salvation. No, it's faith. It is, it's absolutely pure faith, but by faith you do what God says to do, even though, even though you may not witness the result of it. You know, for example, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why should we be baptized? Because God promised to save us. Okay, you're dunked in water. How do you physically witness your salvation? You don't. You accept it by faith. But yet you're doing what God says to do because God said to do it. Right, right. Okay, that's a good point. Good point. Um, even in the life of Abraham, and this is the point that Paul is Paul is building up to, is that God saw the faith in Abraham before he was ever circumcised. Oh, yeah. Th that's really the point he's building up to here. Um, but like Brian pointed out a while ago, even when God called Abraham the earth at some point there was a time where God said, do Abraham believed God and did. And that's when he, he, his belief in God was considered righteousness. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I believe it's valid to say that Abraham believed in God prior to that. You know, I, prior I, to being called you know, from the Earthicalities? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he believed. I, there was obviously something about the character of Abraham that caused him to choose Abraham. I well, mean, I'll we don't you, know what it was. I'll, I'll make a, a wild guess here at this. If Earthicalities was a polytheistic society, which some people suggest it was, mm -hmm. when in all your life you've worshipped multiple gods and only one speaks to you, at that yep. moment, you're going to believe that one God, and you then realize he's the only God. Now, that's a wild guess, obviously. We don't know that for certain. Um, but let's let, let's work on this a little bit more. And, um, Brian, I'm going to bring you back up, if you would, um, bring you up to the forefront here with this. So it is interesting, I think, in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. He makes a statement in verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him. Who justifies it? Yeah, and God. You got, you got two contrasts here. He who does not work, but believes on Him. Then he goes on and talks about David, and David makes a statement in verses um, as quoted here. He describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then the passage he quotes. This is what's interesting. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Um, how, how would we relate the quoting there of verses 7 and 8 to this discussion here about us um, who does not work but believes on him who justifies? Does that make you sense? Know, I think, uh, uh, actually, in a, I think it's a very interesting question. I think one of the things we want to say here is we want to focus in on a couple of words that have been used several times. Uh, first of all, in verse 3, the word accounted. And now in verse 8, uh, impute, or verse 6 and 8, the word impute. And both of those terms are the idea of saying that God takes righteousness and he applies it to somebody. He, yeah, uh, he, he takes it and he applies it to somebody. And this would be, of course, our discussion of grace earlier, that he applies it to somebody without them having actually merited it. 
so that uh, what Dan, what David is really talking about, and David's a great guy to talk about the forgiveness of sin. He's actually probably one of the best people in the Bible to talk about the forgiveness of sin because he has such a great example whenever he had sinned uh, against and with Bathsheba that, you know, he, this idea of, you know, I've sinned before God. He wrote us this incredible psalm about those things. And and he really had a sense of the desire for forgiveness. But he, but he himself is the best one in the world to understand that the concept of forgiveness is the ultimate imputation, the ultimate uh, accountation, the ultimate idea where something I don't deserve is given to me because forgive literally speaks to that idea. So I think that where he goes with this conversation, when he's talking about the idea of imputing righteousness, it, the, the best concept there is the concept of forgiving, to pass over sin, to, to choose to see someone as without sin when they're with sin, and this concept is what God, uh, what what Paul is trying to say. Hey, look, we've known about this idea a long time. David talked about this idea of the imputation of righteousness, of, of putting to someone's credit righteousness that they don't deserve. And and that idea is of, of incredible substance. Now, um, let me plug an idea real quick. It's not what you asked, but let me just kind of plant the seed again. Again, David, just like Abraham, is not saying they did nothing to receive this. They're saying they did nothing to earn this. The very concept here is, is something imputed without being deserved. But our great example is that Saul also sinned against God, and he was not imputed righteousness because he didn't he didn't repent. Now David did the works of repentance, and you know that again we we have great substance of that idea. And so because of the works of repentance or the uh, the action towards that, it was imputed. But it doesn't mean, like I said, it doesn't mean he earned it. It means it was imputed to him, but he did something to have that imputation. That's a good point. And I, I appreciate you explaining it that way. Um, earlier last night when I was working on the outline for this, what was stumbling me up is the, the use of the term works and then what David talks about. There are two different things here, as you pointed out. David is talking about the man who God forgives. And that forgiveness of sin is imputed unto him. It's not, it's not earned. Um, and that, that is the idea, same with the faith of Abraham. It was accounted to him for righteousness, you know, kind of imputed unto him. So, you know, I, I think, I think forgiveness is such a great term because the only way you can actually, um, earn for, earn a forgiveness from anybody mm -hmm. is to undo the sin you've done. And that's right. not possible. You know, like I said, that, that, that we can't go back in time. We can't undo sin. So, Forgiveness is the best example there is of something that we can have that we can't earn. Uh, we may have to do something to get it, though, but we can't earn it because we can't undo. That's the that's the only work that merits forgiveness is undoing it. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And that's Paul's point through all of this. Everything he, he's talking about is none of this was earned by the works of the law. All this was imputed because of one's faith in God. One's belief in God, Abraham, even David. You know, because you think about it, David suffered consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, and he, he still had to do this. The, he, he had to do the sin offering, the guilt offering, whatever else was required by God. Um, but it was only because of his faith, truly, that the forgiveness was imputed to him. Yeah. Yeah, All right, in, uh, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, yeah, and and bear in mind, you know, putting this Romans four in context. Chapters one through three, what's the point that's been made? We're all sinners. We all need the forgiveness of God. 
the one who is blessed by the Lord is the one to whom God does not charge him or take, take account of his sins, which means the one who has taken care of his sins in the way that God says to do it. And even in that, you haven't earned it, which was the point that Brian was making. Yeah. So, so that's the whole purpose of Abraham as an example. Don't trust in the law of Moses to be your automatic ticket to heaven. Your, and if, if you'll pardon me, if you're once saved, always saved ticket to heaven, which seems to be the attitude that some of them had. Well, that's right. And, and where he is leading up to will be the statement that Abraham is the father of us all. Yeah. And, and he'll talk about how that is the case, both Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and then proceed. Were there any other comments in the chat room, Brian, that we need to bring in, or was it all pretty much? Um... Okay. So let's go ahead and look at the next section, which will start with verse 9. And Brian, let's see, I've got enough. Yeah, we've got three of us here, four of us. Brian, if you can go ahead and read the next section. This is chapter 4 of Romans. It's a shorter one, verses 9 through 12 is what I'd like to look at. Okay, so I'll be reading from the New King James Version of Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, to those who are not only, uh, who not only are of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Brian, I think this is one of those passages that Paul needed someone to proofread it real quick. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit. Going on sentences. Yeah, that was Paul's thing. huh? Yeah, um, it really was. But a lot of truth here. And so it, it means we have to mine it a little bit deeper to make sure we, we keep it on, on task. But let's go ahead and bring in the chat room question for this particular section here. And that is regarding Abraham, circumcision was a seal of what? Got to think about that as we go through here. We'll try not to answer it for you. Regarding Abraham, circumcision was a seal of what? All right, now, in this next section, verses 9 through 12, he is talking about a particular blessedness. So let's go ahead and kind of address that real quick. And Brian, since you read, I'll ask this one. When the Apostle Paul here in the text says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, etc.? What blessedness is he referring to? You know, twice before in the last two verses, he referenced David saying, blessed is the man who, uh, who the Lord should not impute sin. So the blessedness is forgiveness. Yeah. Um, kind, of, kind of two things there. Let me bring up the, um, the verse again there, and then we'll come back. In verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, then the other two verses would be the opposite. In other words, if God imputes righteousness, he doesn't impute sin, the guilt of sin. 
So if God removes the guilt of sin, then he's imputing righteousness. And that you're right, that is the blessedness that he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that word that we, we've talked about before, justification, would be nicely described as the imputation of righteousness. To be justified yeah. before God would be the idea that, that instead of being credited as sinful, I'm being credited as a righteous person. That's a good point. That's a very good way of looking at that, um, explaining justification in that that aspect there. Um, so with that being said, um, let me ask this next one of Paul. Um, pardon me. Paul, is this blessing then all a Paul? <laughs> I'm reading this really wrong. It's a bad day for the reading stuff. Paul the apostle asked the question, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? What, how does Paul answer that question, Paul? <laughs> Sorry. Well, in looking down uh, through there, he talks about how Abraham was justified before uh, that rule of circumcision or law of circumcision was uh, placed upon him. And so he's going to say that Abraham was righteous uh, and Abraham was justified. Abraham was living by faith prior to uh, the institution of circumcision. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately the point that he's making with all this run-on sentences that he's, he's talking about here. Um, he asks, how then was this blessedness accounted? Well, to Abraham, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And you know, what's interesting, Paul, is Paul never make, makes mention of Abraham's sin. Uh, he, he talks about the imputation or the accounting of righteousness. But there, sin has to be removed if there's going to be the accounting of righteousness. So with this, it's under, it is assumed or understood there. And that goes back to what we are talking about earlier with Brian there. So, so using Abraham as an example of when God imputed this blessedness on him, he places it before circumcision. Therefore, anybody who is not circumcised can still receive the same blessing. But since he was circumcised and has become the father of circumcision, anybody who is circumcised can still receive the same blessings. Would that be, would that be right with what you see that? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we've talked in the previous chapter about Romans 3 and uh, verse 23 and how all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And we talked about how really in context that's talking about both uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised. Yeah. And so uh, we see that here that uh, is not that is not the law for now, but rather uh, we have to live by faith and keep those. Uh, I, I would contrast the law with the gospel uh, and uh, keep the, those yeah. truths down there. It's a good point. Good point. All right, then, Tom, how is Abraham the father of both the circumcision? as well as the uncircumcised. And I know we've kind of already talked some about this, um, but what would be a simple answer for that? Well, uh, you've already talked about it. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that's really the point. I mean, Paul's driving home the point. It's Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, that's the whole point. He believed God before he was, before he was circumcised. And incidentally, in, in Genesis 17, when God told Abraham to circumcise, him or to be circumcised he didn't wait around he did it and he did it immediately for everybody that was in his house which showed his response uh, but even with that i mean his obedience was before that 
And, uh, and, and the other thing to bear in mind is one of the ways that Paul uses circumcision, actually, it's dealing with the Jews. So it would go, it would go even beyond the time of Abraham to, to the time of uh, uh, Israel. You know, uh, Jacob, also known as Israel, and the 12 tribes, and when they became a nation. That's what the Jews referred to as circumcision. I mean, yeah, yeah, they knew that they knew that Abraham and Isaac were circumcised and so on. But circumcision, as it is used in this text, has the implication of the Jewish nation as opposed to the Gentiles. So that's that's one of the things to factor into all of this. So he's saying everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Yeah, it's interesting the point you made about that, though, when uh, Joshua and the Israelites entered into the land of Canaan. Um, they had not circumcised any boys born in the wilderness. Yep. And I found that interesting that they didn't circumcise them until they got to the promised land. Then they all had to be circumcised who had not yet been circumcised. So there was really holding it more towards the nation, you know, than, than what we're, um, than simply a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. Yeah, exactly. And even though circumcision predated the Jews, which is the point Paul's driving home, right. one of the points he's, I mean, the way he uses the term circumcised throughout this text, at least one of the meanings is Jewish nation versus everybody else, Jews versus Gentiles. And that's really the answer to the question. Abraham's the father uh, by faith to both because both had faith. Uh, uh, you know, if I can real quickly here, I know we're running out of time, but uh, w when I see the Romans 4 and verse 12 here, where he was the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised, I can't help but go back to Romans chapter 2 and the last few verses there where Paul talks about who the true circumcision are those who are circumcised in heart, and those who by by faith do the things that are the nature of the law and so on. And so he's, he's yeah. implying Jews and Gentiles alike. And I think he's kind of driving back to that here, That's at good least point. indirectly. That's a good point. All right, any other thoughts on this before we jump to the chat room question? All right, we did have one comment come in. And Gregor, in answering the question of uh, circumcision was a seal of what? He said, in Genesis 17, God established a circumcision as a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham via Isaac. This is before Moses, so it is a symbol of Abraham's covenant. Um, that, that's a very good point. We've got to keep in mind that... Um, Ishmael was the son that had been born when God instituted yeah. circumcision. And Abraham and all the men in his household, including Ishmael, had to be circumcised. Every male born into the household afterwards would have to be circumcised. Now, here's an unanswered question. At least I don't remember finding an answer in the Bible. Is um, Did the children of Israel keep the practice of circumcision while they were in Egypt? I would assume so because when they went to the land of Canaan with Joshua, those who had left Egypt had already been circumcised. It was people born in Egypt. So maybe it just answered my own question. Never mind. 
you know, if nothing else, they knew they should. You remember the story of Moses when he was headed back to Egypt yeah. and his wife circumcises his sons who were grown sons. They weren't. And, uh, uh, and God was about to strike him dead for it. So, so there's at least the sense that God expected them to have been circumcised and that yeah. they knew they were to be circumcising. So there, there at least is that scene with Abraham, his, his wife, who wasn't even a Jew, yeah. knew that he was supposed to have been doing that. So. That's a good point. That, that, that would speak very strongly to them having continued the process, but Abraham had neglected, or Moses had Of course, actually, him. you know, also, I, I say that wrong. She was a Midian. Well, her father was a priest of Midian, so we assume right. she's a Midianite. Midianites are also descendants of Abraham, so they actually would have had circumcision as well. So, um, maybe if it that, passed through uh, the family lineage, that, that practice, yeah. yeah, okay. And, and uh, you know, uh, one mm-hmm. other real quick observation on that: uh, Genesis seventeen and verse twelve, where the instructions for circumcision are given. It's on that occasion where the eighth day is mentioned. So, so, I, and I mean, that would be something that you could do with a, with an infant who was eight days old, you know, even if you were traveling because you're carrying it everywhere anyways. So it's not like it's going to set you all back or anything like that, you know, in your the, travel or what you're doing. So he could do that in a foreign land. I'd heard that medically they have now, they've proven years ago that by the eighth day, the necessary vitamin K in the the vitamin K, which triggers, I guess, the coagulation, yeah. it's sufficient so you can actually circumcise your child and then not bleed out. You know, the body yeah, and not only, not only sufficient, that is the ideal. Yeah. They have I to mean, give them a shot of something if they do it beforehand. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that being said, let's jump to our last section here. And although the reading is a little bit longer, uh, we've got 13 through 25 um, the point that he's making through here is pretty straightforward, so I think we could get through this in the time remaining. And let's see, Paul, I think you read last time. Is I think right? Tom and I have read, or uh, Brian and I have read. Tom. All right, Tom's waving. Tom, if you would, would you please read, sir, beginning in verse 13 and take us down through verse 25. All right, okay, so verses 13 through 25, we read there. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform, 
and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All right. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. So the chat room question, let's go ahead and introduce that real quick. And if we time permitting, we're going to we'll come back to the question that we should have the time. Is see verse 16, how is Abraham considered the father of us all? Okay. How is Abraham considered the father of us all? So let's look at the last section here real quick, beginning in verse um, verse 13. We're going down there to the end of the chapter there. And, and I realize there's a lot we could talk about. We could probably spend a whole other session just within this section. But I think the simplicity of Paul's point, we could probably drive home uh, in the time that we have remaining. But Tom, since you read this, um, I'll ask you this one. Verses 13 through 15. What is Paul's ultimate point in those three verses especially when he uses the phrase, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Well, I, I, the ultimate point that he's making is faith. We, we need faith to be saved. However, if God tells us to do something, we need to do what that is. And if God doesn't tell us to do something, how can we do it? Or if you don't have a law, how, uh, how can you break a law if you don't have it? So, so I, I, I kind of think one of the points that, that is being made here is, is how can you accuse the Gentiles, you know, especially those prior to the time of the law of Moses, and even those who were not under the law of Moses during the, the time and the history of Israel? You know, how, can, how can you accuse them of transgression for breaking your law when they don't have a law? Okay. Do you think, do you think though, that it could be that when Paul says, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. He's talking specifically about those Jews who still seek justification by the law of Moses and not faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, that goes it goes back to that attitude. It seems that the Jews had this uh, uh, eternal security or once saved, always saved type of an attitude where... Uh, uh, it was an automatic ticket to heaven, or at least as long as I'm circumcised and as long as I go through the motions, that's all God cares about. And and, and uh, no, uh, that's not good enough. Uh, we I think we've talked about how God expected the Jews to follow God from the heart. Yeah. And and He's going to go a whole lot more into that as we get into more chapters uh, into the future. Um, uh, but but you also do have the point here of. Uh, of uh, them looking down on the Gentiles because they didn't keep the law of Moses, you know, and just kind of asking the question, why, why should God condemn them when he didn't give them the law in the first place? Kind of sounds like Calvinism to me. Yeah. And I'm talking about true Calvinism, uh, you know, going, uh, the, the, the full, the full tenets of Calvinism uh, with a, uh, uh, God randomly selects who's going to be saved and who isn't. And uh, and if you're not if you're not one of the select few, tough luck. 
you know, God's going to just punish you and do whatever to you, but you have no say in it whatsoever. What kind of fairness is that? Yeah, there's there's another case of a theological argument developed and then found to be contradicting scriptures. Yeah. And it blinds people to it, yeah. Including here. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, well, let me let me jump over then to Paul here real quick and looking at what we've been talking about. Why was it crucial the promise rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring in verse 16? Well, uh, in looking there, uh, the promise uh, to Abraham was that in his seed, every nation will be blessed. And so it's important for us to realize that uh, prior to that old law, God had a plan to bless every nation, to offer a blessing uh, to every nation under heaven. That would include the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, that would include all people, even down to today. And so since God had that plan to bless all people, and in looking at your question, uh, that promise uh, was not just part of that old law where we that was just to certain de certain descendants of Abraham, but it was uh, to all people, and that that blessing would come upon every nation under heaven. That's a good point. That's a good point. The grace of God can always be seen throughout the history of man, before the law, and after the law, and even during the law. And the law was not intended to be permanent, but grace of God is necessary. Yeah. And John, you know, one of the things that I try to emphasize when I talk about salvation is how grace is the prime factor in our salvation. And, and, and what I mean by the prime factor or the fundamental factor is, is all the acts of obedience that we do, all the belief in the world that we have is absolutely nothing without the grace of God. So, so we always have to remember that. I mean, and, and, uh, and, uh, I, I think we have brethren that are, I, I guess I, uh, kind of be careful to say this, but I, I think brethren are starting to think more about the grace of God and, and, and we are engaging in some discussions, some good, healthy discussions about the need for the grace of God to where we're gaining a better understanding of it rather than relying on ourselves and everything that we do as our ticket to heaven. Uh, and of course, the whole point in all of this is we still have to do what God tells us to do. But, but that doesn't change that it's his grace. Yeah. And if God could extend his grace to Abraham and his descendants who became, uh, who were under the law of Moses, why can't God extend his grace to those who were not under the law of Moses? That's Even right. though we don't understand everything that they did or how they did it. Um, well, real quick, Tom, I, I think it's a good point. When you, when you go through decades of trying to deal with what is being taught by, by other religious groups and others teachers, other teachers, you find yourself almost trying to hit always on the points that they're making. And that is baptism is not necessary for salvation. Yes, baptism is necessary. And if we're not careful, at some point we begin to hammer so much that it does sound like, and maybe we do think that it is by works that we are saved. You know, they're saying you don't have to do it. We're saying you have to do it. So therefore it becomes the point that we really focus on and, and can very easily make it sound like that we're not really believing in the grace of God, but our own meritorious works. 
and that's fathers from the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And anybody who's taking the time to talk to somebody about this that knows what he's talking about, uh, they know better. Yeah. They, they know better than that. We believe that. Incidentally, you know, you go back to Martin Luther and the 97 Theses, you know, supposedly as we he would be described as the father of denominationalism and so on. Uh, from that standpoint, remember what he did. He's the one that emphasized the faith only. What was it? It was a it was a pendulum swing reaction to the meritorious works of Catholicism. Yeah. So I mean, and what he did, he went too far. And uh, uh, and uh, and do we as brethren need to be aware of that? And do we need to be cautious that we don't do the same thing? Right. You avoid hobby horses. Teach the whole truth, the whole counsel, the will of God. Yeah. And the and and whatever subject we're on, teach all that the Bible teaches on it. Yeah. Exactly. Real quick, let's go to our next point. I'm gonna bring Brian up here real quickly. So, if we were to look at Abraham, what in the text? And Paul kind of lays this down here. And so, you there's there's like four or five if you want to mention them. But how do we know that Abraham believed God? Um, uh, from the text or from Genesis? I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. From Paul's statement in Romans chapter four, there are several things that Paul points out there that to me shows Abraham's faith in God and why God accounted to him for righteousness. I gotcha. Uh, you know what? I think, I think what you're kind of looking at here is that Abraham's confidence was against, uh, reason or logic. In other words, um, you know, he goes on to say, verse 19, uh, he didn't look at his own body as something that, that wouldn't respond to that. In other words, he'd gone, uh, at, by the time he has uh, his son, he's gone like, uh, uh, yeah. I just forgot how much older Ishmael he, is. Was he 85 or 90 when Ishmael was born? I want to say Ishmael was 13 years older. <clears throat> so Abraham was... Yeah, I just can't remember. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the big idea here is to say he'd gone eight decades at least without having a son. So, so number one... His history testifies against God's promise, but he still believes God. Number two, his wife, the deadness of her womb testifies against God's promise, but he still believes God. Um, he doesn't waver based on what he sees. And this this will become like one of the biggest ideas in the New Testament is that we're walking by faith and not by sight. And I, I'm really trying not to jump into the chat room's question here because the big question becomes, why is Abraham's faith our faith. Why Why is Abraham the guy that the Bible says, hey, he's the father of your faith and not Noah who had faith or not Abel who had yeah. faith or not, you know, the, the men before him that had faith. Why is it Abraham is the guy that's our faith? And, and like I said, I don't want to go into that too much other than here's this concept of a man who says, well, here's what I see, but I believe God instead. And fundamentally, that will become the, the truest concept of our of our faith. And so I think that's, I don't know if that was exactly the answer you're looking for, John, but I see there when he talks about the deadness of the womb, the mm -hmm. testimony of his own body, that he believes contrary to those things. He, he had hope against hope. Right, right, right. And, that's, and, and that language points to the idea that against hope, against any reasonableness. And now this is going to become, as we move forward, the big idea about faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't come by experience, which... You know, I, I don't want to go too far into this for the sake of time, but I think one of the most remarkable things is that the only people that truly have a salvation by faith 
or even I, I might even say salvation by faith alone are those that have read the word of God, have obeyed it and done it and need no and need no promise beyond that. They don't need an experience to say, I felt saved. What right. they need is God said, be baptized. I was baptized. I believe I'm saved. That's a salvation by faith. Somebody who says, well, I had to have a feeling. I had to have an experience. I had to have these things. Ironically, that's a salvation by works. That's a salvation that requires yeah. something uh, outside of the promise of God to testify to their salvation. So, so ironically, when a lot of people say, you guys don't believe in faith, we're the only ones that believe in the salvation by faith. Yeah. Uh, when we say you have to do what God said, the Catholic believes you have to do what the church says. That's not faith. The Protestant says you have to, you, your salvation comes by an experience or an emotion. That's not salvation by faith. The only salvation by faith is doing what God has said in the word of God. That's right. And it's not about believing in God. It's believing God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, and that's what it's saying right here. That's, that's really is. He believes God. You know, he doesn't believe in God. He believes God, you yeah. know, what God's word said. And so faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that's that's and that's the application to us, which um, let's go ahead and bring in the chat room question. Um, and Gregor comments on this coming from Galatians. Go ahead and read that one, if, if you would, Brian. Yeah, Galatians 3 speaks of us being sons of Abraham through Christ. As God's heirs through Christ, we become God's adopted children. And therefore, children of Abraham in the spirit. That's right. And, and again, what's so neat about that is that Abraham is the first man, and the Hebrew writer points this one too. Abraham is the first man who says, I believe God's promise, even though I won't even be alive to see it. That's right. Now, that's not true of Noah. He saw his salvation or Abel or things like that. But, but Abraham is the first man in human history where God said, I'm going to make you a promise, but you're not going to live to see it. And I need you to act on that idea. And that becomes our faith. Every person since then that has that hope of, a, you know, the Hebrew writer says the hope of a city, you know, the hope of something you won't mm -hmm. see in this life. Abraham is the first man that has that. So he becomes the father of that kind of faith. That's right. That's exactly right. And without having that faith, we will not enter into heaven. Yeah, we won't yeah. receive that, the righteousness. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that, Brian. I appreciate that. So back to the um, the only other question we had there is why were the words it was accounted to him written? Paul says so that we would believe as well. Um, Paul does this a couple of times on a, another occasion. I think it's in First Corinthians nine where he talks about the, the oxen and not nuzzling muzzling the ox. He says, you know, who was this really written for? Well, he says it was written for us. In other words, there's a lesson that we can learn from this. Same thing as here. You know, why did Moses record the idea that this uh, righteousness was accounted to Abraham because of his faith? It wasn't written just for Abraham's purpose. It was written for our purpose and understanding as well. All right. Um, <clears throat> it brings us, I think, to the end of our study of Romans chapter 4. There's probably more that we could say, but due to time, we're going to go ahead and bring the study to a close. Um, Tom, do you have any final thoughts or comments? No, I think we've uh, pretty much covered uh, the things that you want to address. Like you said, we could go, we could go into great detail about a lot of these things, but we, I think we've covered the gist of the chapter. So. Okay. All right. Uh, Paul, any thoughts? No, I think we've had a good study today. I appreciate everybody's input very much, and uh, especially Gregor, who's been uh, participating via chat, that he's been very active today. Appreciate that. 
definitely. And Brian, any final thoughts? Nothing. Uh, let me echo Paul's words. I appreciate people in chat uh, participating. That means a lot to us, so we're grateful for that. Yeah, and, and we do appreciate that. We don't if if we ever miss a comment. Let me go ahead and apologize for that. Sometimes we'll get going and something may slip through that we don't see. But that doesn't mean that we're not interested in your thoughts. We definitely are, and we'll try our best to bring them in. But I think that will bring our study to a close today. We will, of course, continue this with Chapter 5 uh, next Wednesday. Chapter 5, here's the great question. Where did sin come from? How did it enter the world? And what about it makes us guilty before God? Um, it's very A lot of denominational in my understanding, error is found um, being being developed on that chapter. And we'll talk about that, of course, next Wednesday. And again, that's next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And that's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.